Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Turn to John chapter 12. I probably don't say it enough, but I do consider it a privilege to be able to stand before you every week and preach God's Word. Um, I look forward to it. I think about it throughout the week, and, and uh, as imperfect as I am at it, um, I pray that, uh, again, that uh, whatever God wants to be said through His Word is said, and um, that we listen to it. So, we're in John 12. And Jesus has entered into Jerusalem on that triumphal entry where he came in on a donkey and the people were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're looking for this political national king who will save them. But we know that Jesus was not that king kind of king. He came as a spiritual king, bringing in a spiritual kingdom. And so in the midst of John 12 here, we find him teaching um, some very important truths. And so we're going to start in verse 27 and read through verse 36. If you're at John 12, 27, let me know by saying word. word. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then there came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world, and now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light lest darkness come upon you, for he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may be children of the light. These things spoke Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. I'm going to break this uh, text down and, and explain a few things that, I, that I've kind of drawn from here and then give you three applications today and and that'll be our message. First, let's look at the first few verses, 27 through 30. And we come to this part, and Jesus makes this statement, My soul is troubled. Now, we know Jesus is God, right? Jesus Christ is God. He is deity. But we also know He is man. 100% God, 100% man. I don't know how the math works out, but our Savior is too great to completely figure out, right? And so, He comes and shows us a part of His humanity by saying, my soul is troubled. 
Jesus knew that within a few days, he was going to suffer greatly and be killed. And so the, the first thing I think is I, I kind of re, you know, read through this quickly and briefly is, man, Jesus is really thinking about that death he's going to die. And, but, then, but then after kind of studying it a little bit, looking at these verses, I begin to think, wow, the agony he's going to face here and the, 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 the trouble that he expresses here and that he expresses in the Garden of Gethsemane where he says, Father, let this cup pass from me. But then he says, nevertheless, thy will be done. The, the agony I think Jesus feels here is not just the fact that he's going to suffer and die, but that he is going to take on the wrath of God for the sins of all those who would believe. You see, we, I don't think we can even understand, we can't understand what Jesus went through physically, but there's no way we could even begin to comprehend what he went through in the spiritual sense of taking on our sins. Can you imagine? Can you imagine taking on the punishment for not just your sin, but the sins of the whole world, the sins of all those who would believe? Can you imagine? And Jesus, though he was sinless in going to the cross, bore our sin. How many sins have you committed in your lifetime? How many sins have I committed? If we were to do a, scrolling up to, a scroll of our sins up here, we'd be here all day, wouldn't we? We'd be here for weeks, months. All the people who ever believed, Jesus took those sins upon him. There's a spiritual agony here that Jesus is expressing when he says, my soul is troubled. And the question he asks is really rhetorical. Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? It's, it's, it's a rhetorical question here. Should, should, I, should I say, let this cup pass from me, which we see in the Garden of Gethsemane? No, in the face of the most unimaginable suffering and death, Jesus reiterated in verse 27, for this purpose I came. Jesus did not let the most unimaginable end cause him to stray from his mission, did he? He later says, uh, I don't, or he said, I don't, I don't, uh, you don't take my life from me. What does he say? I willingly lay it down. Jesus was focused on his mission. Jesus here did not deny his feelings, but he's also not driven by them. His human feelings were a part of who he was. He didn't deny his feelings, but they also did not direct and drive his life. And so I want to give you an application from that. The first application today, based on the response of Christ there, is that obedience to God must trump our feelings. Obedience, our obedience to God must be more important and more of a driving force in our lives than our human feelings. If Jesus had been dominated by his humanity here, then he might have said, you know what, I'm not doing this. I'm going to do something else. But he said, no, Father, glorify your name. And so I want to give this as an application to us and think about um, our emotions. Some people use this phrase a lot. If, you know, you ask someone, I don't, I don't know what to do about this situation. I've got a couple of different options. And they might say, you know what, just follow your heart. You ever heard that? Just follow your heart. Which is great advice. Except the Bible says the heart is wicked, deceitful, 
corrupted, cold, dead, broken. So sometimes follow your heart is not the best, not the best advice. We must learn how to follow God's word and the guidance of the Holy Spirit instead of allowing our emotions to drive our thoughts, words, attitudes, and actions. How many of us are guilty of allowing our emotions to drive our actions instead of a submission to the Holy Spirit and to the Word of God? These are people who say, that preacher said something I just didn't like. Well, can you truly back it up with the Scripture, or is that your emotions talking? Or someone in church did this or did that. Is it something, is it your emotions? We all are guilty of this at times, letting our emotions get the best of us. I'm encouraging us to follow the example of Christ here to say, obedience to the word will guide my life more than emotions. I heard someone talking the other day, and it was a man who had, um, who had been through, he was an alcoholic, and he went through Alcoholics Anonymous and has been sober for, for years. And he was giving this acronym that they used in, they used in Alcoholics Anonymous, and it was HALT. You ever heard of this? H-A-L-T? You ever heard this acronym? And it stands for this, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And the idea of this HALT acronym is that when you are any of those four things, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you're more likely to fall into you know, self-destructive behaviors. Because, and we're all guilty, right? Have you ever been hungry and lashed out at your family? We call it hangry. You know, hungry, hungry plus angry. I see some people bumping shoulders. When you're tired, you're more likely to, you know, maybe do things you shouldn't be doing. Lonely. And so I was thinking about Christ as applied to that, that application. When Christ was hungry in Matthew chapter 4, and Satan came to tempt him, did Christ let his hunger and the emotions of that drive him? What was his response? It is written. He quoted scripture in that situation. How about when Christ was lonely? I think if and when he was lonely, and I think there was times in a human sense he was, he always had fellowship with his father. He would pray. How about when Christ was tired? We see times in scripture where he would go and rest, and again, I think trust his father. How about when Christ was angry? Um, his anger we know was righteous anger. He was righteous about the things of God, angry about the things of God. And so we can't get rid of our emotions, but we can look at this example of Christ here and guide our emotions toward the right things. Colossians 3, 2 says, Set your affection on things above, not to things on earth. This is why the scripture says to love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart. That's a part of it. Loving him with our hearts, our mind, our soul, our strength. We need to set our affections on Christ so that his word and his spirit guiding us can overcome our failures, whether it's mentally or emotionally or any other way. Might we set our attention on him? Um, so every day I drive home from work, I drive by a place called George's, and they have chicken and burgers that are delicious, bacon burgers, fried chicken. It's just a great place to stop. And I go right by it, and I'm hungry every day. And they also have my favorite thing, which is a large chocolate milkshake. Their milkshake is so good. It's this big, and I drink it within like two miles down the road. I mean, I just demolish it. It's gone. But here's what I know. I don't need those milkshakes. They 
are bad for me in multiple ways. But every day I drive by, my, my emotions are like, pull over, <laughs> pull over. And especially if I'm hungry, right? I want it. Or if I, honestly, if I'm just tired, like that'll make me feel better. I'm tired right now. And every day I go and I'm like, don't do it. And it's this battle between what I know I need to do, stay straight, and turning to the left and getting some George's milkshake. And I use that illustration because once a week I stop and get one. <laughs> once a week I fall off, fall off and I get one. But when we're walking through life, there are many things on the side of the road that wants us to turn off. And our emotions, if we're not careful, our humanity, if we're not careful, can cause us to fall and will cause us to fall. But if we know and stay on that straight road, right, toward what's right, then we're more likely to be successful in our spiritual walk. R.C. Sproul said, I don't always feel God's presence, but God's promises do not depend upon my feelings. They rest upon his integrity. Jesus had all these feelings and look at what 28 says. Father, glorify thy name. Glorify thy name. I'm, in other words, more than what I feel is what's important to my Father. What's more important, what I feel or what my Father desires, and Jesus reminds us. And I'm trying to remind you here this morning. The glory of God is more important than anything else. So whether you're going through something today with a relationship, a job, finances, health, pray that God be glorified through it. Instead of, instead, instead of letting that thing be something that drives you towards sin, pray that God will be glorified through it. We sang it a moment ago, in my life, Lord, be glorified today. Well, again, look at 28. After Jesus praise this prayer father glorify thy name something amazing happens did you notice it when we read through it the voice of god speaks from heaven audibly now do you know how many times that happened in the life of christ you can probably think of a couple or at least one when he was baptized the voice of god spoke the other time was the transfiguration this is the third time and so the voice of god speaks, and, you know, I think the first question is why? Why did the voice speak? Well, the voice says, I have glorified my name and will glorify it again. I think this voice from the Father is a, a voice of assurance to Christ. Father, glorify your name. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. A voice of assurance to Christ that, that his sacrifice will glorify the Father. And I think also, again, it was, a, it was for the people. And so Jesus says here, this is not for me, this is for you. Not for my sake, but for your sake, he spoke. But, as you see in the text here, did people get it? Did people hear it? They heard it, verse 29 says, some said, that's just thunder. And others said, an angel spoke. So let me give you our second, second application this morning. We need to hear God through his word. Are you like some of these people? Think about it. Are you like some of these people? You're standing around, the voice of God speaks, and it's, it's indistinguishable to you. I just can't hear it. Well, first, I don't believe God speaks audibly anymore like that, although if he did, I guess we'd, we'd recognize it, but I don't think he does. 
because he's given us his completed word to hear and to understand. So the question really is for us, when we hear the preaching of the word or the teaching of the word or we read the word, are we able to distinguish or interpret or figure out what that word means? Can we hear from God? Because there are people who don't know Christ who can read the word and try to make some sense of it, but we who are believers should certainly be able to hear and see what God's saying. Uh, I, th- I know I've shared this with you before. My first ministry experience, I was a youth pastor at a church in Macomb, Mississippi, and it was uh, this kind of similar to our sanctuary here, except there was like a little balcony up there, but I was in there one day, and I was by myself, middle of the day, and I'm up on the stage, and I also led the music at the church, so I'm getting the, I got the books out, I'm working on the music part of the service for that week, preparing, and um, got the sound system on, you know, just practicing my music, and I guess I'd stop the song, and all of a sudden, I heard this loud voice, I can't even make out what it said, it was like, blah, 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 blah. it was real loud, and I was like, God? <laughs> I was like, I did that, I was like, God, you know? I knew it really wasn't God, but I was like, and I was like, what just happened? So I found out later a truck driver came by, and I guess his CB radio came over my sound system. And I was like, and he's also like Hispanic. I was like, God's Hispanic. I didn't know. <laughs> but here's my point. That was indistinguishable to me. And again, I don't believe God speaks that way anymore. He speaks through his holy word. Can you distinguish when God's speaking? Can you distinguish, do you know, When you read it and you hear it, this is God speaking. And someone said, if you want to hear God speak, open your Bible and read it. (laughs) Pretty good, right? This is why the Bible is so important to us. This is why doctrine is so important to us. I've heard pastors say, you know, I'm just focused on reaching people and, you know, having good services. I'm not really that focused on doctrine. Well, someone said, you know, a church without doctrine is a dead church. Our doctrine is what we believe, what we know, what we Affirm is our faith, and it comes from the Word. So church, for us, we need to have a strong desire to teach it, to hear it, and to discuss it. And we have that. I'm thankful that we have that here. And and I know in our church, for example, you can come on Sunday morning and our prayer meeting, and and we discuss the Word and we pray it. And then here, I hope our services are full of the Word. And Wednesday night, especially at 6.30, we have a great time of discussion around the Word. And even after service and before service, I hear people in our church talking about the Word sometimes. I love that. You see, within the church, there should be this ongoing, edifying conversation of Bible doctrine so that each of us can have a strong foundation of truth. If you're not plugged into the Word and you're not plugged into the church, then you're not hearing from God. If you're not plugged into the Word, and you're not plugged into your church, you're, you're not going to be hearing from God. I don't believe. Because that's how he speaks. Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, sanctify them in truth. Well, what's the truth? What's he say? Your word is the truth. We need to hear through his word. This is why we harp, this is why the preachers, we harp on the word so much. What we all know, right, is this is how we hear. As we continue in the text, notice 31 through 33, Jesus says, Now is the judgment of this world. 
Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. What he's saying here in verse 31 is in, in his death, um, he's going to have victory over the world, victory over Satan. And, you know, Satan we know is still alive. Scripture says he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But Colossians 2.15 says, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So Satan no longer has any kind of rightful authority over God's people because Christ crushed him on the cross. Isn't that amazing? Do you think right before Jesus went to the cross, Satan was like, I did it. God, the Son of God is going to die. I did it. And Satan's excited about it. You think he was like that? And then he found out shortly thereafter, <laughs> no, the death of Christ was also Satan's destruction. And that'll be complete in the end. Verse 32. As I read verse 32, I want you to try to interpret this verse. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto myself. So I want you to interpret this verse for me. I'm going to give you a couple of options. Option A, is Jesus saying, when we lift him up in praise and sing songs, he'll then draw all men to him? Or is he saying something else? What do you think? Because I've heard people stand up in church and say, if we'll just lift him up in here, lift him up through our singing, he's going to draw all men to himself. What's the context of this? What's verse 33 say? He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. The point of verse 32 is Jesus plainly telling them, I'm going to be lifted up on the cross. I'm going to be lifted up in death. And by the way, with the next verse, we're going to see here in a minute, they understood what he was talking about. And so he says, I'm going to be lifted up. And by the way, let Scripture interpret Scripture. Verse 33 helps us with verse 32 and so forth. Read your verses in context. That helps us. And it says there that Jesus is lifted up. Why? To draw all kinds of people to himself. Verse 32. This means people from every tongue, tribe, and nation will be drawn to Christ. This means that Christ is not just for Jews. He's also for Gentiles. He's not just for the wealthy, he's also for the poor. He's not just for the smart, he's also for the non-smart. He, he's for all kinds of people. Uh, non-smart sounded intelligent, didn't it? He's for all kinds of people. One more thing about this verse. I love verse 32. Let's look at it again. It says, I, when I be lifted up from the earth, is that what it says? Does it say when I'm lifted up from the earth? He will be lifted up. Jesus is sure. He is sure that he will be lifted up. It's not just a when. It's an, it is not just an if. It is going to happen. There's a surety about what Christ is saying here. Verse 34. So the crowd answered him. And they said, well, we've heard from the law that Christ abides forever so how are you going to be lifted up? How are you going to die? How are you going to die and be the Messiah? Again, they're expecting this victorious, powerful king, Messiah. How can you be this if you're going to die? Verse 35, Jesus says, The light is with you a little while longer. 
just reminding them his time is coming, his hour is up. His time is coming. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. Walk in the light, he says, that you may become sons of light. As Jesus' earthly ministry comes to an end, he gives these folks a challenge. And the challenge is our third application here. And I want to challenge us to believe in Christ now and walk with him forever. Believe in Christ now and walk with him forever. I pray that across this room, and I know most of you, I pray that you believe in Christ now and that you're committed to walking with him forever. I pray that's who you are, what you're about. Jesus emphasizes here a present opportunity. You've heard, you've heard of salespeople say, hey, this is a limited time offer. So I'm going to be around for a certain amount of time trying to get you to, to buy in, right? When Jesus tells them, and very seriously means it, I'm going to be gone soon. You have time now to believe and walk. J.C. Rowell said this, The throne of grace will not always be standing. It will be removed one day, and the throne of judgment will be set up in its place. The door of salvation by faith in Christ will not always be open. It will be shut one day forever, and the number of God's elect will be completed. The fountain for all sin and uncleanness will not always be accessible. The way to it will be one day barred, and there will remain nothing but the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. A reminder that, church, we have present opportunities to serve God present opportunities to worship, present opportunities to make disciples, present opportunities to be involved in missions, present opportunities to help one another through our lives as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Church, believe in Christ now and walk with Him forever. This not only applies to us as a church, but I think individually as well. Do you own a Bible? Now is the time to read it. Now. You don't know how many more chances you have to read from God's holy word. What's more important to believers than reading that word? Have you shared the gospel with someone in the last year? Told someone about Jesus or told someone about your faith or told someone what God's done for you? How much time do we have left to do that? How many more Sundays do we have? We don't know. We're not promised the next one, are we? Let's take advantage of every opportunity. Every opportunity we have to pray together in the back on Sunday morning or worship here or meet on Wednesday night, every opportunity we have together, those things, we should not be indifferent toward those things. We should understand our time is limited. Let us have a resolve to take Note of Christ's words. To walk in the light while the light is near. That we might become children of the light. Believe in Christ now and walk with him forever. I hope that phrase will stick with you today as I conclude. That nothing is more important for us than this as believers. And as we do this. 
we're going to make disciples, we're going to do missions, we're going to get in the Word, we're going to be a part of our church, all these things I mentioned, it starts with this foundation. Believe in Christ now. And would you just commit it? Just commit it. I'm going to believe in Him, and I'm going to walk with Him forever. There's an old song that we don't sing it, but it says, if, no other, if nobody else follows Him, I'm going to follow Him. Let's pray.